today on CityCast Denver. Go! Drill complete. Gun ownership is on the rise. So what does that look like for Denver's black community? At the height of all of the racial rhetoric that was going on, the African-American community just started to understand that we needed to defend ourselves differently. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. I'm Donnie Betts, and this is CityCast Denver. So I think people have a misconception about black gun ownership. Growing up in a small town in rural East Texas, DeKalb, we had guns for protection and hunting. My dad always had a 22 rifle and shotgun behind our front door to keep the family safe from various predators, four-legged and two-legged. However, some folks in America see gun ownership as only for certain people. I know it's always been more complicated than that. Like in 1850, in a lead-up to the Civil War, the U.S. government passed a Fugitive Slave Act, which said that white people could recapture escaped slaves in the North and return them to their masters in the South. According to the abolitionist paper, The Liberator, that law led black people and abolitionist whites to flood gun stores and white allies to give firearms to their black friends. I would not go into all of the history in this podcast. However, gun ownership is once again on the rise in the black community. To explore why and how this is happening again, I spoke with two founders of black-owned gun clubs. My parents are from Texas. What part of Texas? DeKalb, Texas, and I believe Houston. You know I'm from DeKalb. Oh, you are? Yes. <laughs> Either you're Murphy, Coleman, or uh, Medeiros. So all those I know. I don't know if we're actually, you know, are cousins, but, you know, we're in the mix there somewhere. Alton Clark is a president of 5280 Steel, a gun club he founded for black people in the Denver metro area. He says that membership has doubled in the past year. Tell us about 5280 Steel. When did you found this gun club and why? James Sykes and myself, we are hunting buddies. There is a group of African-American and Hispanic hunters, elk hunters, and we used to have an elk camp and we go hunting every year, usually as a group. And so we was doing that for quite a few years. And James and I says that we need to form a group or a club of uh, like-minded people with hunting skills. We looked at that and then uh, the National African American Gun Association came out and we said, let's uh, join with them. And so I put all the paperwork in and formed a chapter uh, for Colorado or Denver. We were the first gun club, uh, African-American gun club. What has been your relationship with guns and when did it start? Birth. I was almost born on the lake because my mother was out fishing. And just down the street here on Emerson Street, uh, that's where I was born. She came back from the lake. She had me. And that's where the beginning was because we were always out fishing or hunting. My sister, Elise, when we were little babies or, uh, you know, in in the cribs, uh, they would take the bassinet out 
to a uh, old riverbed just off of Santa Fe, where Chatfield now sits. It used to be a stream there, and uh, they would go out dove hunting and leave us in the crib. And that's where, you know, that was the beginning. So there's always been guns in our house, or shotguns, rifles. I answered that question because a lot of people have the misconception that uh, black folks don't have a relationship with guns other outside of gangs or something on a negative sense. Well, black people have been dealing with guns all our lives. That was a time where um, it was outlawed that we couldn't have guns and own guns. But my understanding is from looking at your website and for your purpose, uh, your mission statement is that you want to make sure that we are aware of our Second Amendment rights and those are uh, protected. Can you speak a little bit more about that? I mean, that's one of the reasons I think you you said you founded this club for a place to gather because in a lot of places where there's uh, gun clubs, it's almost all white. You changed that. Why was it important that you, you changed that? It wasn't that it was important to change that. It was to educate our community. Most of our our members don't feel comfortable going to a white range because there would usually only be one or two of them. And the clientele and the uh, administration there would look strangely upon you. Uh, There is a range in Aurora that if you were of color and went in and applied for a pistol or rifle, and your background check came back, they would call the police on you. Really? Yes. And so with that in mind, you know, most of our members have the same feeling and reaction. Do you think you're going to continue to see an increase in black gun ownership? For the time being, yes. How much do you think the protests of uh, last summer had to do with that increase? The last four years has been a inspiration and fear. There's a book out called We Will Shoot Back. It talks basically about black people protecting themselves and shooting back when it becomes necessary. Not that we go out and go for any any, uh, rebellion or anything in in that nature. We're just protecting ourselves. So, Are you glad you started your gun club when you did? Yes, We intended and still intend to serve our community, educate them, just taking away that uh, stereotype of black people and guns, like you said, gangs and et cetera. We want to teach our community how to use a firearm safely and uh, be responsible, be responsible citizens. It's been a real pleasure. Anything you'd like to add? Pew Pew time is relaxing. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. After speaking with Alton Clark, I took a tour of the new 1770 Armory in the Five Points neighborhood with one of its founders, Sean McWilliams. I'd like to welcome you guys to 1770 Army Gun Club. Um, We have about a 7,000 square foot facility with one, two, about seven rooms in it that we use for training. One of the most interesting things about 1770 Armory is that it's all virtual. There's no live ammunition. Instead, they use lasers and computer simulations. You'll find out why in this interview. First room we're gonna take a look at is called the six plate drill. So give me two seconds, and we're gonna start here. So we always start off when we call it compressed ready. 
The system will tell you to ready, and then it'll say go. Go. So in that particular process, we're able to give you one-shot targets. So now if you look at the system, it'll actually tell you how your speed was and your accuracy, right? So what we do in this drill, if you look here, you have the crosshairs in the middle. These shots are actually calculated based off of my speed and accuracy. So right here it says nearly even, keep it up, right? So basically what it's telling me is that when I took my firearm from the draw position, aimed on the target, my accuracy was great and my speed was great. Why did you decide that you wanted to do virtual? As virtual, I mean, I know because you're in the city and kind of Denver, so you can't have a live fire. Yes, sir. But why do you decide that this would be the route that you wanted to take? What made this possible was just a conversation, really. Um, myself, Anubis Heru, we were part of 5280 Steel Gun Club also, right? So we're running into people who were just afraid of firearms. And so we were trying to figure out what can we do to work with that crowd, right? And so Anubis and I started doing research and the whole concept of trying to figure out what that looked like. And we were introduced to the smokeless range and laser ammo. Anubis went out and actually got a few of the devices, started doing some of the training at home, invited me over to the house. We started doing that training together and realized that it was effective, it was efficient, and it worked really well. And so what we wanted to do in the height of everything that's been going on in the country with new gun ownership, we wanted to make sure that people understood how to own that firearm, not just go buy a firearm, but we wanted you to understand it. So we knew the easiest way to do that would be with a virtual setup. So that way, anybody who had fear, they could come in and work with us first. Then we could take them to the range and eliminate that fear. Now, there's been an increase of black gun ownership. Why do you think that has been? I know uh, your colleague Alton talked about that. Over the past four years, he saw an increase uh, in black gun ownership. And one of the reasons why he formed his club <clears throat> and then you formed your club. Why do you think that you see that? The rise in gun ownership uh, really has a lot to do with just the temperature in the country. Now that he's not president anymore, we're talking about Donald Trump, right? When Donald Trump was in office, it made just the racial tension in the country just very high, right? So people were just afraid. And so... Anytime people are afraid, they're going to do things to protect themselves, whether it's right or wrong. They're just going to run towards the fear and do what they can to defend themselves in the fear, right? And so with the height of all of the racial rhetoric that was going on, the African-American community just started to understand that we needed to defend ourselves differently. We are a first line of defense. Uh, for a lot of years, we've always depended on other things and other entities to be our first line of defense, whether it's the police, the paramedics, or the fire department, right? We always depended on somebody else to save us. So I think over the last four years, we've been trying to figure out this process of what does it look like to take care of yourself, right? Um, and we had to get over some other stereotypes in the process of um, the word gun ownership, too. And so that's one of the things I've learned through this process is that we had to get over a word. And that word was ownership, right? That word, I think, still affects us, our community in a very different way when it's used. When we hear- I think, think it's, uh, sorry to interrupt you, do you think it's like a mental block that we have about gun ownership, the word gun ownership? I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's extremely important, uh, the use of words, because yes. that's what's been hurting and flaming, inflaming the rhetoric as you were talking about. So for me, it's, that's correct. I think those two words are stumbling blocks for our community, ownership and gun, right? We had, both of those words, 
at least in my impression in our community, are attached to negative connotations. And because they're te- attached to negative things, we don't want it. And so when we see somebody else who wants that, we're instantly negative towards them because we're like, well, why would you want something so negative, right? The reality is neither one of those things are negative. But in our culture, they've been attached to negative processes in our life. So what I realized in just this journey of having the gun club, just convincing people that they have the ability to own a firearm has been amazing. Have you seen an increase in black female gun ownership? I'll say 70% of our clients are women. I think in our community, our women feel unsafe, right? And so when everything was going on in the country, if you look at our numbers as far as African-American males go, um, most of us have felons or we're in prison. So we couldn't necessarily count on our counterparts to defend us. And if they were trying to defend us, they would be defending us in a very illegal way. So I think we're at this paradox in the black community where there are more women who can actually own because of legal reasons, right? So there are a lot of gentlemen in our community who just can't own because they have a sketchy past that will not allow them to own. So I think that is one of the biggest hurdles in the numbers that we're actually seeing is that African-American males just can't, right? If they could, I think the numbers would be just as equal, right? And so we're trying to talk about that piece of the conversation too because they are the only ones who in our community who can really own right now. You name your club 1770. Why? I'm a former Marine. So when I was in the Marine Corps, it was not always the easiest thing to be in, right? I remember initially going in, they wanted to call me a dark green Marine. I don't really think people understand how even going through the process of the military, how segregated it still was, even in the early 90s when I was in, in Desert Storm, Desert Shield. And those are the things that we had to battle through even then. And so being in it as long as I was, and we talked about it, him and I talked about the fact that the minority soldier has never really been honored, right? The minority soldier has always been the guinea pig, the scapegoat, the whatever, and to the military, right? There's always been this white hero for the military in America, right? But when you really dig into the military itself, you will actually see that most of the folks on the front line were minorities. And so what we talked about was Christmas addicts, right? Everybody celebrates 4th of July, 1776, right? And I always say to people, well, something happened before that date. And they'd be like, what do you mean? We just won. I'm like, no, (laughs) we didn't just win, right? So we wanted people to understand that One of the very first people who actually spilled blood to create this thing called America was half black and half Indian. Wasn't even a white person, right? And somebody who just stumbled out of a bar, having seen these things happen, and says, hey, I'm going to defend this. And so here it is, we're constantly dishonored in the country, but here it is, we were one of the very first people to stand up and say, hey, you're not coming over here and you're going to do this. So... That started that whole revolution, and that was a six-year process, right? We don't talk about the process. We just talk about the win. So for me, we wanted people to understand when it started, who helped start it, what that journey really looked like. And I want people to understand that there was minority blood that was spilt to create this thing called America. It wasn't just one type of blood. They needed everybody to help. But when 
it was over and everybody came home, it was only one particular race of people who were getting the benefits, right? Who were getting the homes, who were getting the communities, who were getting land given to them, right? Where everybody else did not get those things. So I just want our community to understand too that guns is not anything new to us, right? Sean McWilliams, 1770 Armory. Yes, sir. Amazing, amazing conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with CityCast. Uh, hopefully we can come back and do some time together. Well, we'd love to have you back. Mr. Donnie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for everything. Thank you guys for coming in. Again, that was Sean McWilliams, one of the co-owners of 1770 Armory, the new gun range in Five Points. And let me say that name he mentioned again, Crispus Attucks. Attucks was killed in the Boston Tea Party in 1770 making him the first fatality of the American Revolutionary War. If you want to learn more about the Christmas Attic story, I produced an audio drama called The Knock Need Man. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow with more news from around the city. I'm Donnie L. Betts. I look forward to spending more time with you. <laughs> I love this translation here. <laughs>